Good morning, Faith. Love seeing everybody getting to catch up, fellowshipping after the week. Can you believe, oh, I can say Merry Christmas now. We're in Christmas week. Can you believe it? I feel like I should be saying, like, congratulations to all of us for surviving and making it to this point. Right? The last couple of years have sort of felt like that, right? Everybody, kind of a, a stretch through. But the Christmas season is always one of those seasons, and I don't know about you, but for me, feels like, you know, things are looking up. It just happens. You go into the new year expectant, right, of things changing. Christmas and all it brings and all it means is just wonderful. Lance and I were talking about it a little bit here before the service. He was like, he gets so busy all the way up to it, all of a sudden Christmas is here, right? And I know a lot of us feel that way, but we were talking about thinking back to when we were younger and kids and how neat it was for the Christmas season to come up. You have your parties, you get out of school, and then it feels like you got a whole week or two just to revel in the Christmas spirit, right? Watching cartoons. Anybody have a love, right? All those Rankin-Bass cartoons and Rudolph. Well, one of my all-time favorites was The Year Without a Santa Claus. Anybody else know that one with the heat miser, right? That, that my all-time favorite. Absolutely nothing to do theology-wise, right? But absolute entertainment around Christmas time. Loved it. But when it comes to, I guess, the Christmas cartoons that have true Christmas meaning, my favorite, probably like many of yours, was Charlie Brown's Christmas. Anybody like Charlie Brown's Christmas? Well, this morning, we're going to start off with just a quick clip from there, too, before I get into our piece. So if you guys want to go ahead and roll that. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Love it, right? One of the, the true classics and 
seemingly and unfortunately one of the very few Christmas programs out there that really bring the core gospel message into the Christmas program. Well, this morning, whoops, and if, as long as my laptop cooperates, we're going to look into that passage directly in Scripture and learn from it. One of the things I'll confess to you is that as much as I love that Charlie Brown clip and that piece kind of messed me up a little bit. At the end of that, it says, and peace on earth for all men. And for me, it always left me with my head scratching a little bit, going, but wait a minute, I don't see peace on earth. Right, if you think, look directly into that area, right, of the world, it's probably the most besieged and beset and warred over strip of land where he was born, right? There's always a war. There's always fighting. There's killing and death, man killing man. You look in the world today and men are taking advantage of men, right? We're killing babies in the womb, right? Hate seems to abound. You can look back and find lots of things just screaming at us about how everybody wants attention, but they want it at the expense of someone else, right? There's contempt and turmoil everywhere we look. What on earth could the angels have been talking about when they said peace and goodwill towards men? Peace on earth? Now, we know the Bible's not wrong, so there must be something else that we're missing, so let's look into that today together as we go and see if there's a piece that maybe I was missing back then that brings things a little more clear. What were the angels talking about? And what is that Christmas peace that comes in Christmas? Okay, turn with me, if you will, if you have your Bibles with you or if you have it on your phone or whatever form you have, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to do 8 to 14 here. And I have the ESV version up on the screen. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Anyone notice a little difference right there between the Charlie Brown and what we just read? Right? If you go to the King James Version, it does say peace to all men. But almost every other version out there adds on and recognizes that maybe the King James didn't get that original translation exactly right. And they add this phrase, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So let's look deeper into that, as I mentioned. 
But before we do, bow your heads with me a moment as I pray. Heavenly Father, today as we come, we come before you and we sit at the feet to learn from your word. Would you help us during this Christmas season to just hear and understand the word in new ways, in ways that would enlighten us and give us greater understanding about you, you in the form of Jesus, the Savior, new expectations of what it means when he comes here on earth. And Father, while we're looking at the new, help us to keep in mind the old. What was it like before Jesus came? Why is it different now? Father, we ask for these things in recognition of your glory and love and in the authority of Jesus himself. Amen. So the angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And we're exploring this concept of what peace are they talking about? Kind of already forecasted a little bit for you or foreshadowed a little bit. But is it peace from war? Well, all you have to do is look and you see that war rages on and on. Now, Isaiah 9, 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace... There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what do we see from that passage? We see that it's the end goal, right? No wars, that government but that the whole earth, every knee has to bend to Christ before this peace, the peace from war, shows up on earth. Okay. So what else about war? How about spiritual war? Right. We're about to start a series right after Christmas about the armor of God and the spiritual war and battle that goes on. You and I know every day... Right? We are beset as believers in the midst of a spiritual battle. We don't wage our war right, against those of flesh and blood. We wage war against the principalities of darkness, right? the rulers against its kingdom. Our fight is not against human beings. It's against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world. It is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly world. One of the things I love about this passage that you don't get from the English translations is this word, or this word dark. It's translated dark here. It's skotos in the Greek. And what skotos in the Greek is literally a veil that covers. So it's like this huge blanket of darkness that just covers the earth, right, because of what's here. I think it's a great picture. The other thing it's a great picture from is it hides the truth. So we live in a spiritual battle where truth can be hidden, right? It can be dark in our world. We can hear things from our leaders. We can hear things from the television. We can hear things from people we respect that maybe have good intentions, but the truth can be hard to discern from those sources. And that's purposeful. That's a spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. Is that the peace that we're going to be delivered from? 
Yes. But again, will every knee bow before that happens? So if the angels weren't talking about that one, at least not in the present, how about peace with nature? All you have to do is look around to understand that no, that's not possible right now. Right? We just had the Kentucky tornadoes. Devastating. Right? Ripped through. Nature just basically broken. Ripped through there. Destroying lives. Destroying livelihoods. Right? The pain that comes from that. A lot of people say, how can God do that? It's a tough question. But we know that that's not the design Right, from a standpoint of how earth is meant to be forever and ever. Right? This world is under a curse that happened in Exodus at the fall. And nature and man's nature and everything else falls under those forces of darkness here. The prince of the power of the air right now. And our God is sovereign through it all. So we can look to Mark 4.39 and see this is the case. Right? Jesus is basically the he here, says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. So we know with confidence that at any time, God can change all of that. We know that Jesus has the power to create peace over nature as well. Right? But in his grand plan is not yet to fullest of its fruition. So what about peace between all men? This really seems impossible today, doesn't it? Now it's like your neighbors that you used to be great friends with. If you have different opinions, you might not have peace with them. Right? So many people during the holiday season actually start to experience anxiety. Why? Because the family's all going to get together. Right? And what should be this wonderful group of support, right, that we've all come from, we all know this, there's just things that get into it. And the longer your family's been together, it seems like little grains of sand turn into boulders between you. In Matthew 10, 34 to 35... Even Christ said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Wow. That can be a really hard passage for you, right? If you have a Rob Bell type of theology, love wins, love all. Right, everybody goes to heaven, doesn't matter, right, what we do. That can be really tough for you. Christ himself said, I come to create this enmity between those that are gods and those who are not. And that might even translate to father, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And this breaks our hearts. Right, and I want to encourage you, if you have those situations, be fervent in prayer for those people. Because God can change someone's heart in an instant. So that person that is such a staunch against it, and you want with all your heart, all the joys, all the peace, 
right, all the light, all the hope that comes with Christ for them, and they just aren't there, can overnight change if the Father wills it. And I know you join me in praying for some of the people in my family, and I join you, right, and we lock our hearts for those that we care about, that we pray fervently for. But that can't be the peace because that still exists there. So what are the angels proclaiming? Maybe the best way, I think, to look into that is to go just a chapter behind in Luke, in chapter 1, and we'll start here at verse 67. It says, And his father, Zechariah, so this is when Zechariah is in the temple, right, talking about John the Baptist here. It says, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I want to stop there a second before I go on. Visited and redeemed. That's the prophecy for Christmas. Think about that. Visiting. Not God standing above and handing down through edicts um, two tablets to Moses to take to the people, right? Not God appearing before them in a cloud and pillar of fire to lead them, right? Not God being tabernacled in a place separated from them, but in the midst where the priest would go in, right? But God visiting and redeeming his people. And that visiting is so cool, again, in the rich language that it was written, right? as being coming in, visiting, overseeing, sitting with, experiencing all that there is with experiencing together. Right? So there's this sense of Emmanuel, God with them, right in this prophecy. But he goes on in this. He says, redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of a servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant what covenant right the covenant of Mount Sinai with Israel where he basically said, if you do all of these things, then you will have all of these blessings. And Israel constantly would remind each other, we're to do all of these things so we can have all of these blessings. And they would constantly fail. <laughs> right? They were constantly missing it over and over and over again. But it, says, it goes on. It says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we be delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, that shadow, that blanket, that covering, 
and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So there is so much there. Right? What we see is you have this covenant that man can't fulfill. And God says, doesn't matter if you can't keep your promise. I'm keeping mine. And he fulfills his promise to Abraham on this side. But even beyond that, what I want us to see today when we get to that way of peace. Right? It says to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That guide our feet into the way of peace is really make straight our paths, if you will, to peace, right? Make our journey straight. Now, we'll test a little bit of math knowledge here, right? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> but what's the shortest distance between two points? Straight line. Pretty easy, right? So Jesus is your straight line to peace. Think about that a second. Do we think about that when it comes to peace? Now, we think about, right, Jesus is our straight line to heaven. There is no other way. It's a narrow gate, right, but he's our straight line. He's our straight line to God the Father because when we see him, we see God the Father. But our straight line to peace. Think about this. You're worried, right, about your finances, you're unsettled. Jesus is the shortest path to peace. I'm worried about a civil war coming in the United States. Jesus is the shortest path to peace. I can't rest until I get over and past these problems I'm having at work. Jesus is the shortest path to, pre to peace. Now, some of you are going, yeah, it's easy for you to say, Bill. <laughs> right? You're just saying that in the face of that. But I don't feel peace in the midst of those things. So you might say, okay, Bill, I hear you saying that, but tell us, how can this be? How is Jesus the shortest path to peace? All right. Well, let me lay out a couple reasons for you. First off, Jesus is the shortest path to peace when we realize he died for us to set us free from sin and death. Now, if you've been exposed to Christianity <laughs> If for any length of time, you might go, oh yeah, okay, that's basic, right? Died for our, us to set us free from sin and death. And if that's your attitude, I would tell you, stop a minute and dwell truly on what you were rescued from. Has anybody ever had an occasion, most of us will not, right? But have you ever had an occasion where you really needed to be rescued from something? And you may be really close to death, Right? And in such a way that there's no way you could save yourself. Right? That's what I'm talking about and thinking about. Um, I've shared before, but I'll share again just briefly. When I was four years old, we lived on the shore at Middle River. And one of the things I loved in the winter was ice skating. At four years old, I had those ice skates that have like the dual tracks to them. I think you could strap them to a dog and he'd be successful ice skating too, right? But anyway... <laughs> I had those skates and I loved skating. So I couldn't wait each year when the ice froze. And my mother and father told me, right, be careful, don't go out on that ice until it's frozen for a long time. Well, I waited and waited with the patience of a four-year-old. <laughs> Went out there, not far from our shore, started ice skating and maybe got about 15 feet out and fell through that ice. 
And I fell through, and it came up to me right about here um, as a four-year-old. So one very deep. It was close to shore, right? But I couldn't move my legs. It was so cold. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't get out. I tried to grab the ice around me. It just cracked, right, and got along. And all I could think to do was scream, help me, help, right, and scream. And my mother, who was washing dishes in the kitchen, had one of those windows that she could see out the back, happened to see me, came running, just jumped through the water, grabbed me, picked me up, and pulled me out of there. But in that minute of hopelessness, I knew what it means to need to be rescued. And I would say that's what we need to feel about our sin. Do you know that we're heading to hell? Every one of us is on a default path to hell. We don't like to talk about that too much. It's not a nice thing, right? We don't really like to really think about that and heading to hell. But left to our own devices, and I'll go one step further, left to our best efforts, we are still destined for hell until Christ comes in and exchanges his righteousness for our wretchedness. So think about that. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Here's a second reason. Well, we realize that he gives us a spirit to overcome daily temptation, failure, and guilt. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give us a spirit of fear and doubt, but of love, power, and sound mind. That spirit is for us to walk with every day. Knowing that we can't possibly accomplish that, that we're going to fail a million times between now and glory. Nothing glorifies the Father more than us just relying on his Holy Spirit. Right? If we fail, we fail like a child. We immediately repent. We turn right around and listen. Right? We say, Father, forgive me and move on. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ in that situation. That is something to have peace about. So you can be yourself. You can strive for the glory of God, but know you're going to fail, repent, turn around, and still be deemed righteousness. Right? The Holy Spirit's not going to leave you. You can quench him, but he's not going to leave you or forsake you. It says it in his book. How about this third one to give you peace? When we realize he has brought the perfect love and unity to the world by eliminating all barriers to God and uniting us in Christ. Acts 10, 34 to 35, Peter says in there, right, as the gospel spreads to the Gentile, that God is no respecter of persons. He plays no favorites, right? God is there for all who would receive him and respond to him. That's amazing. Do you ever come across a Christian that you just met, but you felt instant connection with? Yes, it's a miracle, isn't it? It's wonderful. You can go anywhere, and if you can find another Christian, you feel at home. Now, we go through wonderful ways to find out how to fight and have war and not have peace with other Christians. But the reality is, we have a brother and sisterhood in Christ that wherever we go over the entire world, we all have in common the fact that we were saved, 
the fact that we are all wretched sinners. None of us has merit enough to get to heaven ourselves, right? And the fact that we are all unified together in the spirit and about the glory and worship of God. The entire world united. We should have peace about that, right? When the things uh, start going wrong with our finances, I love it. My daughter says, first world problems, dad, right? Yeah. Well, I'm saying I love it. I don't love it in a minute when she corrects me, but I love it after I think about it. And it's true. All the other problems of the world seem to grow dim, right? They go strangely dim. They fade. You understand, wait a minute, I'm on the right path. If not, I'll repent and be guided in the right direction. I'm unified. We're moving towards God's master plan. Right? We can be at peace about that. I like what Paul says. He goes on to not only say that we can get this peace, but he says that Jesus himself is our peace. Ephesians 2, 13 to 16, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, the second birth. Right? So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So much there. So when we look through this, Christ comes. And he is our peace. Could that be what the angels are talking about? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those. Well, let's substitute Christ for that word. Glory to God in the highest and on earth Christ among those. Now it starts to make sense, doesn't it? It all fits together. You see why the angels were so excited? For over 600 years... The people in Israel were in the dark, literally and figuratively. This is the chosen people. They had been led through the desert, right, to the promised land. Yes, they wandered. They had challenges. They had the tabernacle. They had God with them the whole time. And then after Isaiah, shoo, silence. Right? For over 600 years, they call it the intertestamental period, right? Quiet. Through there, They didn't hear from God. Think of what that does to your psyche. What happens when you don't get something you want and long for after about two weeks? Right? What do we do? We start getting nervous. We start getting edgy. Right? You start getting this doubt. Was that really promised to me? Can you imagine Israelites at the time? Did God really promise to send us a deliverer? You can see Satan having a field day, right? Be there. Is he really going to redeem us? Is he really going to send something? And then at Christmas, the moment happens. Here he is. He's here now. No wonder through that. All right? And when he came, he brought with him all of our Advent messages in his embodiment. Emmanuel God visiting with us as our hope fulfilled. Love incarnate. Perfect joy, absolute peace, and the light of the world. 
But what about that last piece? And this is the piece that was different from Charlie Brown, right? All the translation says, with whom he is pleased. So on, on earth, Christ, or on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who is God pleased with? All those who turn to him. All those who make him your Lord. All those who cry out to him, Daddy, Abba, Father. That's who he's pleased with. Not perfect people. Not people who live according to every part of the law. That's gone. Passes away. We have this new peace in Christ. So even though God's offer of peace goes out to all, only as chosen people... The people who receive Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord will experience the peace he brings. At this time, the worship team can make their way back up to the stage. Too. So the Christmas message, I would pray, finds its way into your hearts this week in a very personal way. That it's not Christ coming into the world for all men but that you would take it one step further, right? And it would be Christ coming into the world to die for me so that I can have peace. Now, synonymous, so that you can have Christ and he's the straight line to your peace. Amen? Amen. All right, so if you're here for the first time and you're hearing this message and maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart and you want to know, well, how do I go about doing that? How do I receive Jesus into my life? Right, we can take care of that right now. Now, you can come talk to any one of the pastors here. They can talk to you more about that. But let's all go ahead and bow our heads. And for those of you who Jesus has been working on their hearts and you're ready to turn your life over, I want you to hear the words I'm saying and mean them in your heart. For those of you who have already turned your life over to Christ, but maybe you want to make one of those U-turns and listen a little more closely to the Holy Spirit than maybe you have, I'd also want you to hear these words and mean this in your heart as well. So pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I'm convicted I need a rescue. When I look at my life, there are things I definitely did wrong. I understand that way back in the time of Adam, you designed man to be with you forever and to walk with you in fellowship and what did man do but cast you aside for an apple and a serpent father we rightly deserve to go to hell we rightly deserve to be without you but father today i want to pledge my life and my love to your lordship father i want you to come into me and in my heart and change it today forever. Resurrect me from the spiritually dead and bring me new life in Christ. Father, I want to receive Christ. I want today to be my Christmas from now on. Father, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. And I thank you that as I ask, you change me into that new man. You give me a new birth. And Father... I ask for your assistance daily from your Holy Spirit to live today and forward in obedience to you, to walk in ways that will always bring you glory in Jesus' name.